What's up, everybody? Welcome to the Combo Church Podcast. My name is Craig. And my name is Kara, and we are the lead pastors of Combo Church. If you are listening on ComboChurch.com, iTunes, or Spotify, make sure you subscribe, follow, and like. We love it when you share with your family and friends, and we would love it if you could leave us a great review. Our prayer for you is that the message today will inspire purpose, encourage life, and build faith in you. Enjoy Enjoy the the message. message. Romans 1.16, for I am not ashamed of this good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes. The Jew first and also the Gentile. That means everybody. This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scripture says, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Jesus, I pray that in the moments that we have today that you would open up our hearts, that you would illuminate your heart. Uh, Lord, that we would hear from you as it pertains to uh, your church in the culture in which we live and how you have called us to be people of influence who live according to your word. So we just ask for your help today and uh, Lord, that we may grow in in you today in Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Walk with me in the introduction today, because I know just kind of watching some of this pop up in the news in the last week, um, the the response from the Christian community on this topic has kind of been interesting to watch. Um, We're going to talk about, is student debt forgiveness an act of the gospel? Woo! Hey, easy with the amens already, all right? Everybody just calm down. So let me say this, when we do a hot topic... When we do hot topics, which is something that we will do from time to time when we feel like the Holy Spirit is illuminating something that is showing up in culture that the church needs to speak on, that's when we do it. So when we do a hot topic, it's not because we are trying to um, do some like spiritual op-ed rant um, where the pastor is just angry about something and wants to blame it on the Holy Spirit. That's not what we do. Um, I take it very seriously when it comes to addressing Um, aspects of culture, aspects of our nation, aspects of the world, and even aspects of politics when it impacts the church world. So I take that very seriously. Don't take that lightly at all. Uh, If you are new, if you were new to this church, you will quickly find out that we we don't shy away from things that make us uncomfortable. Um, Because if you've read just a little bit of scripture, you would see that God kind of does that too. He doesn't shy away from the things that will smack you upside your face by his love, grace, mercy, and kindness in order to bring our broken lives into a healed alignment with the will of God. And that's our, that's our desire. For me, also, as, as the shepherd of this church, um, I have a responsibility to look out for wolves and identify them when they're noticed. Um, if, 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 I, if I tick off everybody in here by the things that I talk about, yet I stand before God, I'm able to give an account of trying to care for people who were put under my watch, and I'll be okay with that. Um, but please note, that's not my goal, is to tick everybody off. But always know, anytime I step up here, there's always the opportunity. 
And so that's why my prayer is, God, let me get out of the way and may your spirit come forward today so that you can communicate what you're trying to say today. So listen, I wanna, I wanna start off by saying this. As we, as we talk about this topic today, um, if, if you are someone who has, and I know, I know we have some, if you are someone who has or will be the recipient of this uh, most recent um, edict from the president on loan forgiveness, then congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> high, high five, okay? That's, that's not the topic today. Uh, what you choose to do with that, that's between you and God. This, so this will have zero to do with the people who are receiving what seems to be happening uh, from, our government, from our government today. Um, having, having said that, I think there is a lot at play here um, that we're going to talk about, primarily focusing on identifying continued government overreach and Christians, listen, here's the kind of the important part, Christians coming into alignment with government overreach by misapplying scripture. All right, not so bad. All right, so, so far, so good. Um, so, so I want to say this. Believe it or not, this, this is important as Christians to get right. This is important. And I'm not just talking about this only topic, okay, uh, which is why the Holy Spirit interrupted a perfectly good message that was already done and already prepared so that I could chill with my family on Saturday. But no, he couldn't have told me earlier. So let me start with this basic, let me start with this basic presupposition for today's message, kind of the main idea that is bigger than just this message, but is connected to what we're talking about today. And that is that the modern day or modern day Christianity has a bad habit of creating partial belief systems or values taken out of context from scripture. This is how heresies are created. This is how false doctrines are created. This is how uh, this is how things begin to infiltrate the church of God um, that, that sound good, look good, sound right, and then inevitably end up separating us from the heart of God. Let me give you a couple of examples of just a few things that have happened over time and actually even happening right now. God is love, therefore God, can, God will always accept me just as I am. That is not true. God is love but he is not accepting you as you are. How he receives you and who he is are completely uh, autonomous of themselves. He doesn't accept you as you are because he is love. He accepts you as you are because there's no other way for him to get you. And because of his love, he will take you and bring you into a relationship that is meant to transform who you are, okay? Uh, another one, uh, this is popular one, it's been popular for a long time. Because, God's, because of God's unlimited grace, I can keep sinning and God's okay with it because his grace is more than enough. Can you hear some of the partial truths in there? Is God more than enough? Yeah. Is his grace unlimited? Ooh, that'd be a good one to teach on right there, actually. Uh, but the truth is, is that these are heresies that have infiltrated the church, producing a fruit that no longer represents the bride of Christ. So here you go. When you combine, and this is in America, when you combine a 9% biblical literacy rate in Christianity within America um, that, that applies biblical principles to modern day issues, we end up with massive train wrecks of heretical biblical application with the church and Christians who are unintentionally, for the most part, 
misrepresenting Jesus, misrepresenting the gospel, and misrepresenting the Christian faith. And by, by and large, I truly believe that it is not an intentional. Are there some intentionalities in there from some places? Absolutely. But by and large, when you don't know Scripture, but you can paraphrase different things that you've heard maybe from Scripture, then we, and we create belief systems off of what we have misread, misquoted, and misinterpreted, that's going to create a problem. Because Scripture is meant to be what Scripture is meant to be. And so our, our uh, stewardship of God's word is to know it, is to live it, is to apply it, and to be unashamed about it. And, uh, and is that going to be a little bit of, uh, you know, bumpers up when you go bowling, a little bit of this sometimes? Yeah, absolutely. But as long as we keep ourselves humble before the Lord and we keep our dedication to the Lord, the Holy Spirit will help us on that journey. Can I get an amen? So... So like I said, it's been kind of interesting to watch this kind of unfold over the last week with the student loan forgiveness. Lots of emotions, uh, you know, happy, sad, angry, indifferent. Uh, and, and it's just been interesting to kind of watch, even from the Christian perspective. Like some people, we would look at this and be like, hey, this is great. This is the gospel, right? Forgiveness is the gospel. Like we should be excited about this. This is the year of Jubilee. And I have, and so... How many of you have heard that term, Jubilee? Like, I, I don't expect everybody to be like, yes, of course, Jubilee. We all know what Jubilee is. Um, so, so I want to talk about that, but it's important in the context of how I am hearing some Christians interpret what's happening right now, okay? Y'all ready for this journey today? All right, so let's, let's talk about Jubilee. We're going to break down how the Bible addresses this and why it matters to Christians. And I'm going to keep saying that because how the world sees this and how Christians see this will be different. And it should be different. We should never be confused when we see the world react to something that maybe scripture would cause us to react differently. Because they're not Christians. They're not in the church. They don't, they don't need to have the discipline of reading scripture and knowing God. They're living in the world. So my concern doesn't come from what I see in the world. My concern comes from what I see in the church world. Um, Jubilee, in the Mosaic Old Testament, Mosaic's talking about Moses, and Moses is the one that God spoke through to, to write down the law and to create the Old Testament law. The Mosaic Old Testament law, there were two legal provisions to curb the enslavement of people by longstanding debts. This is something that God created in that system. The sabbatical year and the jubilee year. The sabbatical year or the year of release took place every seventh year. And at that time, debts were canceled and slates were wiped clean. Can I get an amen from somebody? Well, that sounds great. Okay. And, uh, and, and every 50 years, 55-0, every 50 years, Israel had its year of jubilee. And in that year, not only were debts cleared and canceled, but even land reverted back to its original owners or in the original clan of family. The provision prevented the buildup of land estates by wealthy few while the many poor suffered in slavery. You can read that in Leviticus 25. It's the whole account of, of Jubilee and, and the Sabbath year. Um, although the Mosaic law could not guarantee economic utopia, uh, which the only utopia that we will ever experience is when Jesus returns and we get to experience heaven. Just want you guys to know that. And any, any, any attempts, and I'm sidetracking, but any attempts for us to create a utopia here on earth outside of God is not going to happen. Why? Because it's people doing it. If you ever noticed, when you get people together, utopia is kind of out the window. 
Although the Mosaic law cannot guarantee utopia, it sought to curb the greediness in human nature and also aimed at providing everyone with equal opportunity, not equal outcome, that's important, but equal opportunity and a fresh start every 50 years. All right, so we got every seven years, we got the financial debt wiped clean. Every 50 years, not only is the debt, but slaves are set free, property is restored. It's also important when we read this and you hear the term slave, you can't apply that to, to chattel slavery that we've experienced through Europe in the early stages in America. It's a, it's a different thing. Still not great, but it's a different thing, okay? Uh, so that, that is, in, in a very small nutshell, that is Jubilee, that's that Sabbath year that some people are, are saying. So, so when we hear this at face value, most of us, and we probably should, should be like, yes, that's awesome. That's what we need right now. Can I, you know, uh, yeah, I'm calling, I'm calling Wells Fargo right now. Hey, I just want you guys to know I'm declaring a year Jubilee. So thank you for clearing the debt on my, of mortgage on my house. You're not gonna, you're gonna just hear like a dial tone on the other side. They're just hang up. It's not gonna, it's not gonna happen. So here's what we need to understand. Let's talk about how to study and interpret and read scripture. Rule number one, the Bible cannot mean to us what it did not mean to its original readers. That means that we can't read scripture, take it out of context and make it apply to us however we see fit. God had a intent when he wrote scripture and his intent is for us to read it in the way that he wrote it. And we can apply, it was not written to us, but it, I'm sorry, let me rephrase that. It was not written for us, but it's written to us. Like God is still speaking to us fully relevant all through scripture. But obviously you were not alive when Israel was coming through the wilderness, right? So you understand what we're talking about here. We were not the immediate audience, but God is still speaking to us through his scripture. So let's break down the context of Jubilee. Jubilee existed in a specific people group, in a specific law system, in a specific government system, in a specific period of time. That's important for us to understand. Jubilee did not prevent people from becoming wealthy and it did not prevent people from becoming poor. Scripture teaches that wealth and poverty are connected to work ethic, stewardship principles, and obedience to God's word regarding money, work, and stewardship. Jubilee was connected to Mosaic civil law. That's important to understand. Mosaic civil law where God was establishing, because this is why we needed, this is why they needed that Old Testament law. God was establishing a brand new nation of his chosen people who were being brought out of 20 plus generations of slavery, 400 years of slavery. And they didn't know how to act as a civilization. They didn't know how to handle law and order. They didn't know how to establish themselves as a nation. And so God had to give them civil law so that there may be law and order in order for a civilization to come to be. Here's something that's very important for us to understand. The civil law of Moses was built on the moral law of the Ten Commandments. Like that, that's, the Ten Commandments came first, okay? Which, by the way, if you, if you know or if you go through the Ten Commandments, they all still apply today. It doesn't, they're, they're, they're laws that every civilization on earth, every legitimate civilization on earth has shared the commonalities of the truth in the Ten Commandments. They may not claim it where it came from. They may not tag it on their, on their government buildings, but it's the foundation. So civil law is built on moral law. And this, is what, this wasn't just for Israel. This is something that we see today. And when you remove, so that's the foundation, right? Well, how, what happens when you remove the foundation from a building? Mm. 
When you remove moral law, the civil law that stands upon it will crumble. And when that happens intentionally by those who do not desire to live by the moral law, not only will the moral law be taken away, but what was built upon the moral law will also be taken away and replaced by those who desire through power to enslave the people they, just, they choose to lead. Is this connecting yet? I'm trying, I'm trying to build a, a framework here. Um, Israel was not a democracy. They were not a constitutional republic. They were not a socialistic government. They were a theocracy. A theocracy means that God's in charge. God is the boss. Yahweh was king. And he would speak through his prophets, through his servants, the priest, to lead his people directly. And if you were even to say, well, how convenient that a priest can just be like, one second, yes, God, yes, this is what God says. No, you will see in the Old Testament that God's preferred method was actually to speak to all the people. But they were too terrified, and probably rightly so, and they're like, hey, Moses, realize you got a good connection with, uh, with Yahweh, so why don't you talk to him, and then you can come to us. So God's original intent for his theocracy was not just to speak through Moses, it was to speak directly to his people. But when they rejected that, he's like, fine, I'll speak to Moses, I'll speak to Aaron, I'll speak to the priest, and then they will tell you what I'm saying. So this was a theocracy. God's in control, God's in charge, he is the one. So that is the form of government that this moral and civil law was meant to function under. So in the context, when we talk about Jubilee, Jubilee and the Sabbath year are not principles, but they are specific laws which means that we cannot take bits and pieces of what was a concrete, finite thing and take it out and apply it to our life as we see fit. Um, we cannot take a law that has a unique purpose and apply it wherever we want. I just kind of said that. Um, like, for example, if you went to another country and, um, and they, did, they had a law that we didn't have here and you try to operate in the freedom there that you have here, uh, you're going to end up in jail. Like, we, there's an example right now, the whole Brittany Griner situation. Like, she, she, she did something that here would have been legal in most places, but she went to Russia. It was not legal, and she got caught, arrested, prosecuted. And, and that's where we're like, as Americans, it's too harsh of a penalty. Well, it's Russia. <laughs> like, I'm not saying whether it's too harsh or whether it's not too harsh, but it's their laws. And I don't know if you knew this about that country, but they tend to take advantage of things from time to time in history. Not that we ever do, but they definitely do, right? But so you understand, like we can't like, all right, a law that was specific to them, we can't operate like it doesn't exist when we go there and vice versa. And so if this was a, if Jubilee was a specific thing connected to the Mosaic law for a people, a nation, a government, and a time, we cannot take that principle and loosely apply it where we see fit in our own lives today. Here's something that we also have to understand is that Jubilee worked because everything belongs to God. And Israel actually lived like this was true. And that's one of the provisions in Le Leviticus 25, verse 23. It says that the land, this is God speaking, he says, the land must never be sold on a permanent basis. Why? Because it's mine. You can't, you, you own nothing permanently. You may think you do, but you don't. It's all mine. And Israel knew that, they recognized it, and they lived that way. 
And so Jubilee was not a problem for them because they had the understanding that this was something that belonged to God anyway. Psalm 24 and 1, it says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all its people. So we're talking about this is Mosaic law, all this type of stuff. And, and so it's Mosaic law. This aspect of it doesn't apply for us today. Okay, pastor, well, what about tithing? You're all, every week y'all are talking about tithing. Pastor Rocky's up here. Y'all need to be tithing. Isn't that Mosaic law? Yet you still want us to do that at Convo all the time. True, tithing is in the Mosaic law, but it is not of the Mosaic law. Hear me. It's in it but that's not where it originated. Tithing actually showed up 2,500 years before the Mosaic law ever happened. It was already in existence. It's, it's a principle of the nature of God. It's not, just a, it's not just a provision in the law. It is before the law. And so Jubilee is only, only in Mosaic law. It's not echoed in the New Testament. It's actually only mentioned a few times in the rest of the Old Testament. Jesus does not teach on Jubilee. The word does not appear in the New Testament. And so it doesn't continue. As a matter of fact, the nation of Israel doesn't even practice it anymore. There might be a few groups within the nation, within the Jewish culture, who are trying to hang on to the traditional provisions, but as a nation, as a people, they haven't done that for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. So it does not exist in its original context for us today. Therefore, we can't apply it to our life today in the same way. So remember, the purpose of the law, the Old Testament, the, uh, not, the, not the Ten Commandments, but the civic, the civic law that was built on the Ten Commandments, the purpose of the law was to deal with sin and sinful nature in people. Like that, that's been echoed throughout scripture. But we also have to remember what Paul says in Romans chapter eight. He says that the law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law couldn't do. He sent Jesus. And guess what Jesus did? He fulfilled, he didn't replace, he fulfilled the law. Because what could not make us right in law is now able to make us right through Jesus. Can I get an amen on that one? Okay. So here, here's some, let's transition. I wanna talk about some basic principles about debt, okay? This is gonna be super simple. This is economics. This isn't Christianity. This isn't any, any political affiliation. This is just kind of economics. Okay, first of all, debt is pursued and established by the one who needs something. Number one, right? I mean, that's just, that's how it works. Doesn't mean that there aren't advertisements out there like, hey, come to us. Hey, we'll do this. That's, that's great. But debt is pursued by the debtor. A lender does not establish a legal debt, a debtor does. Um, the debtor, on their own free will, chooses to agree to repayment terms in advance before receiving a loan. Like that's just, that's, that's how it works. If you go to buy a car and you're, anything that you purchase that you don't have cash for, there are terms. You're like, well, I just put on my credit card. Well, guess what? There's terms on that too. And interest and penalties and collection agencies if you don't do what they say. If you go and buy a car and then you can't pay for it, you're gonna lose that car. And that's not unfair. That's what you agreed to. The next one, a debt is never forgiven. It's financially impossible to forgive a debt. It only gets taken over by somebody else. So let's say, all right, to your front row. So you get to vote, so y'all stand up. Let's say that, um, like this is yours, and that's, you know, there's $10,000 that you, 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 owe, you owe somebody, okay? And I'm gonna come to you and be like, hey, good news. I'm, you, I, I've canceled that debt. Here, can you hold that for me? There, it's yours now. Right. No, you're good. You're free. Don't worry about it. It has been canceled. You can't, thank you. That was a fantastic analogy. Um, you, you can't cancel it. 
it just gets taken care of by somebody else. And that, that's just a principle, right? So I'll, I'll give you a story. Like years and years and years ago, Karen and I had this, this Jeep Cherokee and uh, this old, like, you know, straight six. It was beautiful type of thing. Um, and, and so we had it, and somebody else, we wanted to get rid of it and sell it. We knew somebody, they're like, hey, we want to buy that from you. And so we, a very more than fair price, and they were paying us in payments. And God spoke to us one day and said, hey, I want you to cancel that debt and just give them the car. And we did. Well, guess what? We still had to pay for it. And we did. But we took the debt from them so that they didn't have to pay for it. So a debt's never forgiven. It doesn't just vanish and go away. Somebody has to take care of it. And now here's the problem. When we look at the government saying, hey, good news, your debt is forgiven, um, and I'm getting ahead of myself on one point, if you don't own a debt, you can't forgive a debt. And the government doesn't own the debt. Guess who does? Taxpaying citizens of the United States of America. Like, we're the ones who own that. In the same context as the government doesn't actually have any money. They have our money. If, if, if I gave you $1,000, I was like, and, and, and then someone came up to you and was like, hey, I just need some money. Like, well, here's $1,000, man. That didn't cost you nothing because it wasn't your money. It's easy to give away what's not yours. Right? And it's like, and it's also easy to not take care of what's not yours. That's, that's a renter's mentality. Well, it's in my place anyway, so I'm going to bust the mess of it up, and uh, somebody else is going to have to pay for it. I might lose a deposit, but that's okay. Right? So, so, so here's what we're talking about. Again, this has nothing to do with those that are recipients of what's happening. This has to do with where it's coming from and what's actually happening underneath. So how should Christians look at debt forgiveness? I'm glad you asked that question. Number one, we should be happy Listen, for real, we should be happy when someone that you know experiences something that benefits them. Sure. Why not? We don't have to be all grouchy about everything. Well, my principles, I can't be happy for you. No, I'll be happy for you while at the same time realizing where, that where this came from is going to create some problems. We have to look at the big picture and realize that the ends never justify the means. We're living more than ever, we are living in an ends justify the means culture. And that's something where the means are removing this and we're justifying it to accomplish these things. But what was built on this will not be able to stand. And I'm, and I'm here to tell you today that the people who are interested in that happening are intentionally doing that. They know that that's going to happen because they have an interest in establishing something that is new while we sleep on our freedoms. Okay, calm down. Um, we cannot demand forgiveness of a debt that we initiated. Um, and, that, and by and large, you know, people who are recipients, they're not like, we demand forgiveness, but there, are, there is a movement of people who are. Right, so it's, it's less about, let's apply this to our own relationship with God. Okay, let's, let's take that, because my biggest goal today is like, let's turn this around at ourselves and see how we're relating to God as it pertains to the world around us. It's not just about this issue, but this issue is connected to something that is bigger. So I can't demand God to forgive my sins. You know what, God, it's not my fault, so I demand that you forgive me. That's not going to work out well. We're responsible for our actions, even when there are things that, that, that impact the environment around us that may produce something that God needs to forgive. We still, like, we, we, we got nothing to stand on when it comes to God's forgiveness. Like, your best day is like a dirty diaper in the eyes of God. That's my interpretation, filthy wrecks. 
It's probably the best interpretation that doesn't get even more descriptive. But like, like our best day, being a good person, loving everybody, hugging everybody, helping people across the street, like, you know, whatever. Like to God, he's like, that's, that's garbage to me. Like that, that doesn't even, you have nothing to stand on when it comes to your efforts and your good work. We cannot live outside of our means by poor choices and demand that God bless us and provide. Man, so many Christians out there that are asking God to provide for them and God's like, how can I provide for you? Because you've chosen to live in means that are so far beyond yourself because you live in a state of insecurity where everybody has to think that you're doing great based on what you drive and what you wear and the size of the house you live in. God, I just need you to provide. I'm not gonna make it this month. Well, then stop spending your money on stuff that is gonna hurt you. Stop spending what God, because God, God owns it, right? So stop spending your money on what God owns that he has given you to steward. Does that, does that make sense? Um, and we also cannot forgive debt that we do not uh, own. I kind of talked about that a little bit, but it's worth saying again. Like it's, it's very easy. Like if Johnny owns Sally $10,000 and I, and I work for Sally, it's very easy for me to come over and be like, hey, Johnny, good news. Um, I forgive your debt. Really? Does Sally know about it? Psh, who cares? You're forgiven. Thanks, man. Hey, you're welcome. Remember me in a couple of months. And I come over here and realize, hey, uh, Sally's not going to be happy because Sally still has to take care of this debt. We cannot forgive something that we do not own. Now, here's the cool thing. If you do own something and somebody owes you a debt, you have the freedom to forgive it. And I'm telling you, as a Christian, if you have the opportunity to forgive something of somebody else that you actually do have ownership or stewardship of, man, it's one of the coolest ways to be a blessing to people. It's one of the coolest ways to impact somebody in a positive way, even if it does hurt you, even if it does cost you what you weren't thinking to do. God will bless you when you are a blessing to others. But it has to be something that is in your ownership or stewardship. I think this is important too. We can't self-define and self-apply the gospel. This means that we make the gospel mean to us what we, you know, well, to me, when I read what Jesus says in here in Matthew chapter six, to me, this is what it means. Well, you don't get to do that because Jesus meant something. And if Jesus meant something when he said it, we have to apply what Jesus meant, not how we get to read it. That's so important. I'm telling you, man, Christianity is, is gone tomorrow if we live in a reality that says, I will make Christianity be my truth. My father used to tell me, he still does. He's like, he'll tell me like when we start talking about the church, he's like, son, just remember Christianity is only one generation away from being extinct. And at first I was like, nah. But I'm like, yeah. <laughs> and we better sure as heck start taking it seriously and making sure that the next generation rises up to understand who God is, what the word of God says, and who God says they are. Otherwise, we'll be having these conversations from prison. Yay. Christians are people of integrity. Christians are people of integrity. I don't expect anybody who's not a Christian to have integrity, which is why I'm surprised when I run into people that do have it. I'm like, that's awesome. Do you know Jesus? No. Okay, well, I've got some stuff here I can work with, so that's good. No, like Christians are people of integrity. Matthew 5, 37, just say a simple yes, I will, or a no, I won't. Anything beyond this is from the evil one. Jeez, Jesus. James 5, 12, but most of all, my brothers and sisters never take an oath by heaven or earth or anything else. Just say a simple yes or no so that you will not sin and be condemned. 
lot of people write, oh, like a lot of the younger people, they're like, oh, I swear, on God, on God, man. I was like, why are you saying on God? Why don't you say yes? Why don't you just say no? You don't have to swear on anything because your word should be something that you're able to stand on. I shouldn't have to deflect my integrity onto somebody else. You should be able to hear me say yes or no and know that it's gonna happen. That would preach really good like at a men's conference too because we could just start pushing each other. Like, let your yes be yes. Anyway, sorry. Um, number six, generosity belongs to the owner. And again, I love this so much. Like, Christianity, like God commands Christians to be generous. It's a commandment. Did you know that? Like we are commanded throughout all of the New Testament to be generous to the people around us. But I can't be generous with something that I don't own or have stewardship of, right? Generosity belongs to the owner. And here's the cool thing. God's generosity is never careless. I know there's worship songs, reckless love of God, all that's great, but it's not reckless. Like it's great poetic imagery of Jesus and all that, but it's never reckless. God knows what he's doing. And and if God owns everything, if his generosity is unlimited, then he would just give you everything all the time and you would be a spoiled brat for Jesus, of course. (laughs) But he doesn't because he's wise with generosity. He is caring with generosity. Sometimes giving something to somebody might seem generous, but it might actually hurt him. Because you may be overstepping something that God's trying to work in somebody. That's why it has to be spirit-led. That's why it has to be the Holy Spirit leading our generosity. I don't, I don't give money to every person standing on a street corner. Like, Pastor, how dare you? you need to show them the love of God. I was like, no, but if the Holy Spirit puts it on my heart, I do it. I think my wife just thinks I should do it more. Like, I'm not hearing enough. No, I'm joking. Um, We don't give money to every person that calls the church and asks for help. That's not good stewardship. It needs to be something that is Holy Spirit-led, something that is wise. Listen, guys, this is is where we're gonna wrap this up and this is where it gets a little like rubber meets the road. It's not love, because this is some people's interpretation I've heard in the circles and online, social media, even other pastors. Man, this is just the love of God being poured out to people. Forgiveness is the love of God. It's the gospel. Listen, it's not love to be bullied into manipulative politics. Let me say it this way. If me loving you hurts you, it's not love. In 2020, in 2020, yeah, sure, we all had a window of time where we're like, we're all gonna be dead in three or four weeks anyway, right? So let's just whatever. And then we realized that wasn't the case. And now even more, as every single day goes by, we realize what a load of BS most of that season was. And the churches were commanded to shut down, be realized that we were not essential, to have things put on our faces that don't work, and to be forced into other medical decisions that now we are seeing the ramifications of these choices that were forced on us, not because of the goodwill of those who oversee us, but by the manipulation of politics to control us. And this is what I will say, is that we will never be duped by that kind of stuff ever again. It's not gonna happen. And that's no statement on an individual in this room and how, like nobody knew how to walk that season out. If it was like, yes, we know what to do. No, we don't know what to do. It was one day at a time. And some people, do I get the jab? Do I not get the jab? Whatever you do, do it in faith. Scripture actually says if you have a conviction to do something, then you don't do it, that's sin. 
So do what you do as a conviction. Do it as unto the Lord. I don't care what it is, but this is what I do know. We will never allow ourselves to be controlled by those who don't have the interest of the kingdom of God at their heart. It's never going to happen again. So when somebody loving you, so I did the whole analogy, you know, my $10,000 Bible, apparently. Um, if, if loving you is taking that burden off of you, but in order to take that burden off of you, I have to put it on somebody else, that's not love. And so here's the thing that I need to, that I think we got to realize, and there's, there's a thousand hot topics that we're not talking about today. College is one of the greediest, most broken institutions in our nation, right underneath the government. Where, where even when in light of this, there are universities all over the country who are like, ooh, we get to raise our tuitions. But no, it's happening. Like, it's, it's not like, no, it's, con it's not conspiracy. It's actually happening. And now the government is preparing to figure out this is how we deal with that. Well, it's, it's really, again, you're, we're creating systems of overreach that create a reaction that create more overreach to control the reaction. And the more that we sit back and we're like, guys, just... I, I, Pastor, I did not come to church today to be politicized. I came to church today to hear the gospel. Just, just preach the gospel and let me know the 10 ways that I can live in happiness. And let me know how much Jesus loves me. And can you please press that button where all the warm fuzzies fall from the ceiling? Because my life is so hard and my marriage is falling apart and my, kid, my kids are addicted and they're struggling with, with taking their own life. And, the, and I don't know why. There's all this stuff in school that should be helping them. They get free lunches and it's still hard. Um, like, like, what the heck is happening? Just preach the gospel. Is the gospel, this is where I stand up, is the gospel supposed to influence every sphere of influence around us or is it just for us personally? Everything throughout history since the church was birthed has transformed not just cultures, but nations. You'll notice if you study the history of the Roman Empire that it was the church that through influencing an empire, not even a constitutional republic where we have freedoms, but in an empire, the gospel of Jesus Christ transformed a empire that, yes, went through seasons where for entertainment, Christians were impaled on poles and lit on fire and where they were thrown into coliseums for entertainment. But eventually the gospel through power and men and women who would stand up for truth and preach the truth of Jesus and love people and begin to, at their detriment, be an impact in the world around them. Guess what? That empire fell and the gospel of Jesus Christ rose to the surface. Has it been perfect and pretty ever since then? Heck no, because God is still working through people to do this thing. It's a hot mess, but the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit and the truth of God's word will always take us where he's trying to take us. But if we just wanna huddle in our churches and read John 3:16 and feel good, God, I'm just trying to make it to heaven. And God's goal for you was never just to make it to heaven. It was to bring heaven down on earth. All right, so, so let's, this is where we pray. Here's two minutes. This is how we turn this around. Uh, you know, I hope this, I mean, maybe I ticked you off. I don't know, I'm not trying to. I know this isn't easy, which is why it's called a hot topic. It's not a cold topic. I'm just putting ice on it, you know, rest, ice, compression, elevation. You know, that's not what we're doing. But listen, forgiveness is of the utmost importance in the kingdom of God. Christianity is not socialism. 
Socialism is not Christianity. Christianity points people to God. Socialism points people to government. God commanded the church to influence every sphere. Not just the ones that come natural. Not just, well, just in my home. Well, yeah, you, you better impact your home. But you also, God's, everywhere God's placed you is a mission field. It's influence. Jesus calls us to, to be a light in the world around us, not just in the church around us. <clears throat> but here's the thing. Forgiveness is probably one of the most powerful tools that the church actually has in our hands because of what God's done for us, for others. And so maybe, you know, have, I think we're having fun. Maybe you don't. We're having some fun today talking about this, and it's real. But let, let's personalize it and realize that, okay, there's one thing that you do have in, in control and your hands that God has given you, and that's the ability to forgive. And so I'm, I'm telling you right now, it's completely maybe off of this specific hot topic, but there's some people in here today, you've been bound up in your life. You've had struggles in your life. Your relationships aren't working. Like you, you can't get by. And I'm telling you, there's, you need to search your heart and see if there is someone or something in your life that you need to forgive. Like you have the power to. Like you have the ability to. And, and, and if God also puts it on your heart through your means of generosity to find somebody that maybe it's not even connected to you, but God put it on your heart to bless somebody. Maybe God wants you to, to pay for somebody to go to college. Holy cow, wouldn't that be amazing? That would be awesome. The government has always tried to take over what the church dropped. And I can't blame the government for that. I blame the church for that. But did you know that there are more Christian organizations who provide scholarships for people to go to college than anybody else. It's not even close. That more Christian-owned and run hospitals and medical groups provide more free medical, like actual free, free medical care for people than anybody else. It's not even close. There are things that God is putting in our hands as his followers. We can love people the way that God loves us. We can forgive people freely. We can choose not to take offense. We can choose to be generous with what God gives us. Thank you again for joining us on the Convo Church Podcast. Special shout out to those who give so generously to Convo Church. It's because of you that this ministry is even possible. If you want to sow into the ministry, go to ConvoChurch.com and simply click the Give button. It's that easy. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe, follow, take a screenshot, and share it on your social stories, and tag us at Combo Church. Thanks again for listening, and make sure you tune in to the next episode of the Combo Church Podcast.